So glad y'all came today. We are in uh, our final sermon on our three-week series we're calling Heaven and Hell. My name is Matt Carter, the lead pastor here at Sagemont. Honored to be preaching for you today. Um, we normally go verse by verse through the scripture. We've taken the last three weeks to do this series. We're gonna go back into 1 Peter next week. Actually, not next week. We have a guest speaker next week. I'll tell you about him after a while. But today, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at the subject of what heaven is gonna be like and what we're gonna be doing while we're there. It's a fun subject, it's a comforting subject. Uh, we're gonna be in a lot of different scriptures, and so um, you can either take notes, uh, write them down, whatever, I'm gonna have to move fast so the sermon isn't too long today. But I wanna begin with a verse to get our minds prepared for this idea and this concept of heaven. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse nine. I was writing the church in Corinth, he's speaking of heaven, and he says, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And so the scripture tells us here that we can talk about heaven all day long. We can do our best to describe heaven, but we will never, ever, ever be able to do um, justice to how amazing heaven is gonna be until we're there. But... There are certain things about heaven that the Bible has revealed to us by the Spirit, and that's what we're gonna focus on today. We're not gonna spend much time in the debatable stuff. I'm not gonna get into the premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial views of eschatology. Um, I'm not gonna get into pre-trib versus post-trib theories of the rapture and stuff like that. I'm just gonna fo focus mostly on what the Scripture is clear about in regards to heaven. And so let's kick this thing off. Let's look at Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27. The writer of Hebrews talks about the moments leading up to our entrance into heaven. Hebrews 9, 27. He says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. He says it's appointed for man to die once, then after that comes judgment. So guys, the Bible talks about two separate judgments. And here's the thing you need to know about the first judgment. The first judgment is what that scripture's talking about. The first judgment is instantaneous and it occurs at the moment of your death. It's instantaneous. The moment of your death, when you breathe your last, that judgment occurs. And in that moment, there's no changing your mind about where you stood with Jesus. There's no pleading your case before the Lord in that moment. At the moment of your death, the, judge, the judgment or the judge's gavel falls. And in that moment, you're based on one thing. Were you in Christ Jesus? Had you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior or did you not? And if you didn't, if you never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, then Jesus says you go to a place called hell. But if you did, trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you die, you immediately go to a place the scripture describes as heaven. All right, now listen, I want you to hear this. Kind of important to understand where we're going today. But um, there is a place called heaven that exists today, that exists right now. It's a place called heaven. It's where believers go immediately when we die. We go into the presence of the Lord in heaven. But heaven as it exists today is not where we're gonna spend eternity. Believe it or not, scripture tells us that at some point after the return of Christ, God does away with uh, the old heaven and the old earth and he creates a brand new earth. 
And that is where you and I will actually spend eternity with the Lord on a new earth. Now, I'm going to describe the new earth here in a minute, but let's take some time and let's talk about heaven as it exists right now, today, which is the place you and I immediately go when we die before the return of Christ. Now, we actually don't know a ton about heaven as it exists right now. Uh, the scripture doesn't say a lot about it, but there are a few things that we know, and so let's look at a couple of those things for a minute. Uh, first place, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Here's one of the things we know about heaven as it exists today. In verse seven, Paul says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And then he says something interesting. He says, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I love that. In verse seven, he says, right now we're walking by faith. We're not walking by sight, but there's coming... Coming a day when our faith is going to be made sight. He's talking about heaven. And in that moment where our faith is made sight, love this, Paul says in that moment, you and I are going to be at home with the Lord. What a comforting, amazing verse that that is. In the moment of our death, when we're absent with the body, we're gonna be present with the Lord. And the scripture says when we're present with the Lord, we're gonna be home. I love that. I've shared with you guys before, I was in the Corps Cadets at Texas A&M. And yes, and back in the early 90s, when I was in uh, my first semester at A&M, let me just put it this way. Hazing was a thing back in the Corps, back in the early 90s. Like it goes through these periods where there's lots of hazing and then there's no hazing, lots of hazing. I caught it on a full-blown pendulum swing on the hazing side. And to give you an idea, I went into the Corps Weighed about 185 pounds. I was a down lineman for the Fighting Hornets of Athens High School. When I left, um, when my first semester of my freshman year was finished, I weighed 155. I lost 30 pounds because they didn't let us eat much. Um, they shaved my head. I was bald. Uh, they beat me with stuff. They did all kinds of devious things to me. I was lonely and I was miserable. All right? It was one of the worst semesters of my entire life. And I never went home through that entire time until the day after Thanksgiving. The day after Thanksgiving was the very first day that I got to go home and see my mother. And um, that was because, you know, we had the A&M Longhorn game the day of Thanksgiving. And so the day after was the first time I got to see my mom. And I was kind of a mama's boy. And so I was really looking forward to seeing her and, uh, and being home. And I have this image in my mind, and I'll never forget it. I was driving home. I was really excited to see her and be home, and I turned the corner to my house, and then as I looked down the road, I saw my driveway, and standing there in the driveway waiting for me was my mother, my aunt, which was her identical twin, and my grandmother and my great-grandmother. They were waiting on me, and all those women right now are in heaven, and I miss them desperately, and I pulled up, and I stepped out of the car, and they all came around me, and they just gave me a hug, and they kissed me, and I instantly started crying. And my mom was crying and my aunt was crying. And I cannot tell you how good it felt in that moment to be home, to be home. And what Paul is saying is that what, that's what heaven's gonna be like. Is that doesn't matter how long we've gone, we don't need to be afraid of death. 
And one of the reasons we don't need to be afraid of death is because the moment that you close your eyes in death, you are going home. The, the home you were created for. And you're going to be at home with the Lord. So that's the first thing. We know it's going to be like going home. And that's awesome. Here's the other thing that we know about heaven. Jesus describes it a little bit while he was on the cross, which is really interesting. Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, had a thief on either side of him, one on his right and one on his left. And one of the thieves starts hurling insults at Jesus. The other thief repents of his sin right there on the cross. And then Jesus describes heaven. In Luke 23, 39, this is one of the criminals were hanged railing at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him saying, do not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation. And he says, and we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And I love that because that is a picture of what repentance looks like. He says, I deserve what I'm getting because of my sin, but Jesus has done nothing wrong. And then he looks at Jesus and he says something amazing in Luke 23, 42. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that was the right thing to say, by the way, because I want you to watch what Jesus says to him. In Luke 23, 43. And he said to him, and Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, there are a couple of things about that sentence that are amazing. Number one is he said, today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. To me, that definitively proves there's no purgatory. There's no place where the good Christians go to heaven and then the sort of good Christians go to a holding tank until they sort things out with God. Because this is a guy that's a criminal that repented moments before his death and Jesus says, today you will be with me. And then notice what he calls it. He calls it paradise. Paradise. Okay, we get the concept of paradise, but something hit me. The guy that's calling it paradise is the creator of the universe. And if the creator of the universe says that the place we're going together is paradise, then sign me up, Amen. And so here's what we know so far. Heaven as it stands today and eternity, it's gonna be like going home and it's gonna be paradise. And then watch what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse one. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my father's house are many rooms or many mansions. If it were not so, what I have told you. Now watch what he says. What I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. He says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. The key phrase there to me is not about the mansions of the room, but Jesus saying, I'm leaving and I'm going to go and I'm gonna prepare the place for you. And I'm gonna come back and take you with me. We're gonna be together in that place. So Jesus says, guys, quit worrying. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that, when you think about it, is really awesome. It's really awesome. I'm going to tell you why. Um, Jennifer and I, when we found out that we were pregnant with our firstborn son, his name was John Daniel. It was back in 
Um, gosh, he was born in July of 2000. And so when we found out nine months before, we were pumped. We were really excited. And so we made the decision that we were going to decorate his room. We were gonna prepare a room for him. Because guys, that's what you do for your first child, right? Now when the third or the fourth child comes, you just stick them in the closet. But when the first kid comes, you prepare room for them. And so mostly Jennifer, since she's here, I gotta tell the truth, mostly Jennifer went to work. We put chair railing in and we painted it two colors and we even had a friend of ours paint a mural of Winnie the Pooh on the wall. I've got the picture here, check this out. We had that painted on the wall. That is a picture of Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh playing poo sticks, which is when you both put a stick in the water and see which stick wins. We had, we had a lady paint a picture of Winnie the Pooh playing poo sticks on the wall for crying out loud for this kid because we knew he was coming. So we spent four months preparing this amazing place for him. Well, here's what hit me. Here's kind of my point, that if two earthly parents would spend four months preparing a place that was that amazing because we knew our son was coming. How much more amazing will the place be for us, created for us by the maker of the stars that he's been preparing for 2,000 years? I got a feeling it's gonna be pretty amazing. So we know heaven's gonna be like going home. We know it's gonna be paradise and we know that it's gonna be better than our wildest imagination. And that's where we go when we die until the return of Christ, okay? Some point Christ is gonna return. Let me read you a couple of scriptures to get our brains around the return of Christ. <clears throat> Revelation 19, 11. This is speaking about Jesus. John saw a vision of the second coming. 19, 11, it says, then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, as a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so there's coming a day when the trumpet's gonna sound and Jesus Christ is gonna come back. And when he comes back, he's not coming back as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's coming back to take over. And when he comes back to take over, he rules and he reigns. And then at some point after he judges the nations, the scripture says that he creates a brand new earth. He does away with the first earth. He does away with the first heaven and creates a brand new heaven and earth. Now part of the new earth will be new Jerusalem, will be the new Jerusalem. Actually, let me jump back here. Let me read it to you. Okay, so let's talk about, let's, let's look, listen to him describing this new heaven and new earth, Revelation 21, one. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. Okay, so that's, that's the new earth. After the return of Christ, God does away with the old heaven and old earth, creates new heaven, new earth. 
It creates a new city of Jerusalem. That's what, um, um, y'all remember last week when I talked about Billy Graham, what he said to his friend that was dying of cancer. He said, I'll meet you at the eastern gate of the holy city. That's what he was talking about, right? We think about, you know, the streets of gold and stuff, and we think that's heaven. That's not actually heaven as it stands today. That's the new earth and the new Jerusalem that it's talking about. Now, let me stop and make one theological point here. John said in Revelation that he saw a new heaven and a new earth. Most theologians believe that's not talking about two separate places, but it's talking about a single place, which is heaven, which is the new earth, where we will spend eternity. So from now on in this sermon, when you hear me talking about heaven, I'm not talking about heaven as it exists today, but I'm talking about heaven, the new earth, where we will spend eternity after the coming of Christ. And so for the rest of our time today, let's start looking at what this new earth is gonna be like. And what are we gonna be doing on the new earth forever? And right out of the box, guys, I'm gonna tell you what I believe is the best part of eternity and the new earth. Check it out, Revelation 21.2. It says, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Why aren't y'all going nuts after you just heard that right there? (laughs) That is gonna be the best part of heaven. The scripture just said that when we're in heaven, God is going to dwell with us. We are going to be in the presence of of almighty God. And that right there, that alone ought to dispel any doubt in your mind whether heaven is gonna be boring. <laughs> no, seriously, don't raise your hand. <clears throat> don't raise your hand, but how many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you in the back of your mind sort of thought, man, heaven sounds kind of boring. I've actually had people email me from this church and my other church, and they're like, hey, I'm struggling with this. I can't imagine being in heaven forever is is it going to be boring okay this ought to what I'm about to show you the scripture I'm about to read to you ought to dispel any doubts that it's boring and I just be totally honest with you if I've thought about that myself I mean what are we going to do forever because you kind of think growing up okay we're going to go to heaven there's going to be some clouds we're going to sing to God and it's for eternity and you think okay I'm all about singing to God, but maybe for like a couple days, like a retreat or something. But like, what are we gonna do forever? Trillion years, we're just getting started. What are we gonna do? Well, listen to this quote. This is a thing. Listen to this quote by science fiction writer Isaac Asimov. He said, he said, I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. Now, what a sad, misinformed, and honestly ignorant statement that that is. Okay, listen to me really carefully here. Being in the presence of God on a new earth is gonna be a lot of things, but it ain't gonna be boring. I wanna read you a verse here. Psalm 1611, put to bed any rest, any concept that heaven's gonna be boring. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. 
And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And so that's the thing. When we go to heaven, we're going to be every day in the presence of God. And the scripture tells us that in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. Okay? I want you to think for a second about a moment in your life that brought you a lot of joy. For you older folks, maybe it was the day you got married, the birth of your child. For your grandparent, maybe the birth of your grandchild. Maybe for some of these folks down front, maybe you got a date or something. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe you got the job you were always wanting, you got, got into school you've always wanted to get into, had a great Christmas, great birthday, whatever. There was a moment in your life that was joyful. Those things are moment, those moments are great. They're great. But what's the problem with those moments? They go away. They go away. We have moments of joy and then they disappear and we go back to routine everyday life where we don't feel this constant joy, right? But listen, I want you to listen to what the verse just said. The scripture just told us that in the presence of God is the fullness of joy, which means this constant filling to the brim to overflowing of joy. And so because in heaven, listen, because in heaven, because you're in the presence of God forever, you're gonna experience this constant every moment, every day, filling to the brim to the point of overflowing joy forever. And you know, one of the things that hit me, I, I didn't even think about this the first time I preached this message 12 years ago. Something hit me this week that I've never thought about before. In the presence of God is this constant, every moment filling to the joy, overflowing forever. What that means is in heaven, there's gonna be no more depression. For some of you, that's good news. There'll be no depression. There'll be no anxiety. There'll be no bad moods. There'll be no bad days. In the presence of God is the fullness of joy, which means that every moment in heaven will be better than your best moment here on earth. Every moment, every day. I, that's hard for us to get our minds around, but in the, full, or in, in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. And he says, in the presence of God, we're also gonna experience pleasures forever, forevermore. It's a word that means delights, delights. So what are some of these delights, pleasures that we're gonna experience forever? Well, it's impossible to fully know, but let's take some time here and let's talk about some of the pleasures or delights we know we're going to experience. And some of them is what we're gonna do on the new earth, what we're gonna do on the new earth, okay? I think the new earth is gonna be a lot like the current earth, except it's gonna have one major difference. It's gonna be completely free from sin. Now listen, the implications of that are enormous. They're enormous. It's gonna be a lot like the current earth, except it's gonna be completely free from sin. And because it's completely free from sin, it's gonna be completely free from the consequences of sin. And that's gonna be amazing. Okay, let me give you one example, one of these implications. I am utterly convinced, I am convinced to the core of my being 
that on the new earth, we're going to have jobs that we're going to work. And some of you are like, whoa, wait a minute, Matt, you lost me right there. <laughs> Going to another church. Um, I am utterly convinced that on the new earth forever, we're going to have jobs. And I'm going to tell you why I'm convinced of that. Because think about it, a little the- theological question. Don't shout it out. But when did God create work? When did he create work? God created work before the fall. God created work before sin entered the picture when, when the Garden of Eden was still perfect. He, he took Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden, and before they ever sinned, he gave them a job. He said, I, I, I'm putting you in the, here in the garden, I want you to cultivate it, I want you to keep it. Now listen, they went to work, cultivating and keeping the garden. And because there was no sin yet, there were no consequences of sin. And because there was no consequences of sin, the work they were doing was an absolute pleasure. It was a joy. It was a delight. It was fun. And guys, listen, but what happened? They sinned. And sin entered the picture. And when sin entered the picture, the consequences of sin entered the picture. And only then, after sin entered the picture, did work become tedious. After they sin, God looks at them and says, hey, one of the consequences of your sin is that work is now going to stink. You're going to work by the sweat of your brow. It's one of the reasons, it's one of the consequences of sin. But on the new earth, on the new earth, there's no sin. And there's no consequences of sin, which means every moment of our work is going to be fulfilling. It's going to be this uh, amazing source of unending joy and pleasure forevermore. Now, I'm convinced we're going to have jobs, but one of the things that hit me is because there's no sin, there's going to be certain jobs that we won't need anymore. I mean, think about it. Um, We're on new earth. There's no sin. There's no consequence of sin. We're not going to need policemen. Um, We're not going to need firemen. We're not going to need funeral directors. We're going to have brand new perfected bodies, so we're not going to need personal trainers. Um, (laughs) This is my next one, my favorite. God says that he's going to be our king, so we won't need politicians anymore. Amen? Hey, if you're a politician, I love you, but you're going to need a new job. Um, we're not, we're not going to need lawyers. Um, we're not going to need doctors. I mean, we can keep going, but something else hit me. <clears throat> if you think politicians, I'm being hard on you. Um, it hit me. I'm going to be out of a job too. <laughs> you know, I seriously doubt that on your 12 trillion or whatever, God's going to come up to me and say, hey, Matt, today will you fill in for me? I just don't think that's going to happen. And if he did, I mean, my goodness, we got Spurgeon, we got Whitfield, we got Edwards, we got Moses, for crying out loud. I think I'm gonna be out of a job, be low on the list. So I've thought about, I've shared this briefly with you before, but I actually thought about what I wanna do on the new earth. And I have a true story. In a quiet time, one time I've asked God if he'll let me do this. I wanna be a farmer. I, it's, it's really simple. I wanna be a farmer. I think it would be so cool. Because it's gonna be about 70 degrees, I'm thinking no humidity. And I just want to, like, be in my heaven tractor, plowing my fields, <laughs> worshiping God. I mean, that just sounds amazing to me. I've asked God for that. So fun topic today when you go to lunch. Talk about what you want to do on the new earth, all right? Um, here's some other pleasures we'll experience in heaven. We know for a fact there's music and there's singing, except the scripture tells us that we're going to sing new songs. And so what I think that means is there's gonna be creativity. 
on the new earth. I think that means there could be art. I think that means there could be drama. I think it means there could be literature. I think there could be all forms of entertainment just free from the consequences of sin, which means there'll be no bachelorette. Amen? <laughs> Excited about that. I don't think there's any reason that there won't be any sports. I think there's gonna be sports. Now, there's not gonna be soccer because it's a communist sport, but there is definitely, <laughs> it's definitely gonna be football because we know for a fact that A&M is gonna be in heaven, right? And so there could be year-long football season. I mean, talk about a field of dreams. There's gonna be baseball. It's gonna be awesome. Um, there's nothing we know, and we know this for a fact. There's gonna be parties. There's gonna be banquets. There's gonna be amazing food, except we won't get fat because we have perfected bodies. There's, um, that's biblical. I mean, there's, um, there's gonna be wine there. Sorry, Southern Baptist, but there's gonna be wine there. Um, think about this. I mean, he puts us on a new earth, and I don't think he would create a new earth if he didn't want us to see it. And so I think that means there's gonna be mountains to climb. I think that means that there's gonna be lakes to swim and snow to ski on, rivers to raft and fields and forests to explore and cliffs to dive off of and adventures and colors and sounds and unimaginable beauty that we'll experience forever. And you, you may be thinking like, Matt, that's earthly stuff. Well, we're on a new earth. And if you think about it, God is the source of all good. God is the source and the author of all that's good. He's the source of all that's delightful. He's the source of all that's enjoyable. He's the source of all that's refreshing and fascinating and fun. And so it is not a stretch for me whatsoever to imagine enjoying all those things and a billion things more for eternity. I'm not gonna be boring. And if that were not amazing enough, it actually gets better. Real quick, Revelation 21.4. After the new earth is created, John tells us this. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. I love those words. Death will be no more. If the Lord tarries, you and I are gonna die, but we're only gonna die once and then we're gonna live forever. We'll never die again. I love that line in the song that said, when we've been there 10,000 years, Bright shining as the sun, there's no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. He keeps going, talking about death. <clears throat> Verse four, he says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. And I'm excited about that. Old people, can I get an amen? amen. All right. We're gonna have brand new perfected bodies, which I'm fired up about because my knees hurt right now. <laughs> it means I'm gonna be able to run again one day. And when I run, I won't be slow. Sammy, amen? <laughs> it means I'm gonna have a six pack abs one day. It means that these glasses, these ugly glasses are gonna be gone one day. We're gonna have new perfected bodies. There will be no pain. I'm so excited about that. And if that were not good enough, it gets better. So let's look at some really good stuff and then we're gonna look at some great stuff and we'll be done. Here's the really good stuff. Part of the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore will be each other. We'll be each other. Just like here on this earth, on the new earth, there's gonna be 
Um, we're going to experience fellowship and community, but there's going to be one major difference. It's going to be perfect fellowship and perfect community. Okay? Um, let me read you real quickly. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Paul is comforting believers that have lost loved ones to death. And I want you to listen to how he comforts them. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And he's talking about those who have died in Christ. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For the Lord himself, in verse 16, here's the hope. He says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And so those who have died before us, before the return of Christ, when the trumpet sounds, they're gonna be brought up and they're gonna be with the Lord in the air. And then in verse 17, he says, then we who are alive, in other words, we were alive when the second coming happened. He says, when we're alive, who are left, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds and we'll meet the Lord in the air. So Paul's comforting these people who have lost loved ones to death and he says, look, we're gonna grieve when we lose people, but we're not gonna grieve like people who don't have any hope. And here's our hope. Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, you will be reunited with every loved one in Christ Jesus that you lost. And you're gonna be with them forever. And that's amazing. Now listen, to get our minds around this real quick and to start landing the plane today on the sermon, um, I've got another Jonathan Edwards quote. He's a theologian from the 1700s. It's, it's got like three or four parts. Break it down, we're done. First part of the quote. He says, every Christian friend that goes before us from the world is a ransom spirit waiting to welcome us into heaven. There will be the infant that only lived a few days that we have lost below and through grace will be reunited again. Have you lost a child? Have you had a miscarriage? Before Christ, did you have an abortion? I am convinced. I believe this is the bottom of my heart. You will see that child again. They will greet you in heaven and their perfected body and you will be with them forever. He goes on and he says, they're the Christian father and mother and wife and child and the friend with whom our holy fellowship was interrupted by death here shall be commenced again and never end. So again, husband, wife, parent, friend, child, that you lost to death, you're gonna see him again, but here's the major difference. The fellowship that will commence with them will be perfected. And when you think about it, that's huge. We have all these amazing relationships, but there's always things that sin steps into the picture and just messes it up a little bit. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When you're in glory and you experience fellowship with your loved ones and people you don't even know, that personality trait that annoyed you while you were on the earth, that's not gonna be there. I'm serious, that thing that you know, caused conflict between you and that person, that both of you make it to heaven, by the grace of God, that's not gonna be there. On the new earth, all your, every single solitary one of your relationships will be perfectly free from the entanglements of sin. There's not gonna be any arguments. There won't be racial strife. There won't be political strife. There'll be no mental issues. There'll be no dementia. If you're crazy, Uncle Harry makes it, he won't be crazy. You'll like him <laughs> in heaven. 
Really, just like in a quiet time this week, stop and just dwell on that for just a minute. It's not as sexy as some of the other ones, but think about relationships completely free from sin. That's gonna be an amazing source of joy and pleasures forevermore. Edwards goes on and he says, this is really cool. Maybe you've never thought about this. He said, we'll have companionship with the patriarchs and the fathers and the saints of the Old and New Testament, those from whom the world was not worthy. Have y'all ever thought about that? We're gonna get to meet and talk to and get to know the people of the Bible. We'll recognize them. We know that from the Mount of Transfiguration. And I've thought about it, some people that I wanna meet. I wanna meet Peter. I'm fired up about meeting Peter. I, I, I'm, I've thought about this. I'm like, Peter, give me a hug, bro. And we hug. I'm like, Peter, bro, you weren't that smart. I wasn't that smart. You said stupid stuff. I said stupid stuff. But Jesus still chose to use us anyway. How cool is that? High five, Peter. I'm going to give him a high five. Thought about this. We get to meet Paul. I'm excited about meeting Paul. I'm going to ask him, like, Paul, what was it like to feel the Holy Spirit of God using you and writing the New Testament? inspiring you. What was that like? I can't wait to meet Noah. I got questions for Noah. I'm gonna be like, Noah, how did you keep the lion from eating everything in the ark? How'd you do that? I'm looking forward to meet Job. Job's always been so inspiring to me. This guy lost everything. And yet he kept worshiping God. He lost everything. He said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes, takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm gonna say, Job, how'd you do that? It was so inspiring. I'm excited about meeting Zacchaeus. Except Zacchaeus is gonna have his new perfected body. So we'll be like, Zacchaeus, you're not a wee little man anymore. Give him a high five, bro. Look great. Ladies, think about this. You're gonna get to meet Mary. Think about that. You get to talk to Mary about what it was like to feel the almighty God of the universe kicking inside of her womb. I'm excited about meeting the thief on the cross. And looking at him and saying, brother, I was no better than you. But we made it. Because of Jesus' grace, we made it. And giving him a hug. And that's the really good stuff. But here's the really great stuff. And we'll be done. Y'all ready for it? Here's the great stuff. There's gonna be one person that we get to meet. I haven't mentioned him yet. But there's one person that we're gonna get to meet. And meeting this person will hands down be the greatest joy of heaven. That way we get to meet Jesus. See, the greatest joy, check this out. Some of y'all, I want to listen to this because honestly that, that may not be where you're at today. Now, I'm almost done, just listen. True story, the greatest joy of heaven for me, the thing I'm looking forward to the most is not fun work or music or community. The, the thing I'm looking forward to the most, the greatest joy of heaven for me won't be climbing the new Everest or, or even seeing my mother, which I'm really excited about, or seeing my great-grandmother and eating her cherry pie forever, which I'm really excited about. Um, hands down, the greatest joy of heaven for me is gonna be meeting Jesus. And here's the thing that I've, I've thought about this a lot. Because a lot of people say that there'll be no tears in heaven. It even says that, is that there'll 
There'll be no crying. But here's the thing I think a lot about about that moment. I cannot imagine me seeing Jesus Christ face to face and in that moment, me not losing it. Um, I can't imagine for the very first time seeing the one that's loved me before I ever lived a day. I can't imagine seeing the one that I have cried out to a thousand times in my darkest hours. I can't imagine seeing for the first time the one that I've spent countless hours to talking to in the quiet hours of the morning. I cannot imagine seeing the one for the first time that died for me and paid for my sin and when I ran from him a thousand times, chased after me a thousand times and brought me home rejoicing. I cannot imagine finally, finally seeing Jesus face to face, falling on my knees before him and feel his arms pick me up and wrap his arms around me and me looking him in the eye and saying, Jesus, this is all because of you. This is all because of you. You're the reason I'm here. It's your righteousness that brought me here, Lord. You completed the good work that you began in me until the day of Christ Jesus. I cannot imagine that moment and me not crying. But here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing that hit me as I studied this, and it really blows me away. The scripture does say that in heaven there will be no more crying, but it says that after it says he will wipe away every tear from their eye. I have a feeling that when you and I see Jesus, we're going to cry. But he's going to lift us up. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And we're never going to cry again. And so if in heaven, guys, listen, I'm done. If, If in heaven, what you're not looking forward to the most, if you're not looking forward most to being with Jesus, I just... Can I just tell you something's something's off? Something's wrong? Because there's a lot of things I'm looking forward to about heaven, but if if Jesus isn't there, guys, I don't even want to go. I think the old hymn says it best. It says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Watching and waiting, looking above filled with his goodness, lost in his love. For this is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long.